What do you think about pomegranates in your uh, baked goods? <sighs> they have I don't so love much pomegranates. Moisture to them, they're like almost all water, so mm-hmm. you're guaranteed Except to for have that soggy horrible bread. Horrible crushed part. <clears throat> Like the oh, the crunch. crunch in there. The actual yeah. seed. Yeah. 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 Uh, all right. What do you think about... Uh, okay. What do you got? What do you got? Uh, kiwis in your baked goods. Australian food? Not on them. In them. No, you don't want to eat people. You'll never go back. Trust me. That's why I've been afraid to try it. <laughs> I think it's a real... I think it's a real selling point. I'd like your... People sandwich, please. <laughs> <laughs> Sir, you have to stop coming and asking for that. <laughs> Just, I would like a little forefinger and provolone hoagie. <laughs> Why are you eating the fingers, Jeff? That's the know. hardest it, part of the body to get It's like a out. pomegranate seed. It's <laughs> crunchy. It's crunchy. It's like, why do people eat chicken feet? I don't even know how you eat a chicken foot, but they're doing it. Oh, you're not wrong. You're not wrong. Some people Does, eat chicken feet. They just eat the, They just suck that skin off of it. There's the scab meat. They, uh, it's, it's called degloving. That sounds like a sex thing. <laughs> That's there is a how do you yeah, fix a I mean, prolapse? You know, <laughs> you deglove it. <laughs> by the Comics Place in Bellingham, Washington, where every week we get together and do that. You know, <laughs> talk about prolapses. We uh, get comics for our store, we sort them, we pull them for our customers, then we go away and read them. And then we come back here and talk about them. Um, and the comings and goings of our lives. Oh, yeah, that too. Wait, who, who was. Who said that? Oh my God, who are you? I'm back. That's a. Is that a reference to Paige from wrestling? That's yes. Sure. She did okay. not take it from Jack. Robin Williams, the Robin Williams movie where he gets old too fast? He took that name from The Shining. I thought you had a baby. <laughs> <laughs> I did have a baby. I am back after pushing a giant picture person out of my nether regions <laughs> and am finally back with my my other little boys. <laughs> you're, you're she called tiny. us little. He did. Oh, oh. I don't know. I'm not that clever yet. I'm still a... Uh, I've been home by myself for the last... Well, not by myself, with my husband You've and You've got to baby, start but... referring to it as a person. <laughs> and ideally not an it either, Jeff. <laughs> <laughs> I barely... <clears throat> hey, what's... Tell us a little bit about the baby. Hi, I'm Jeff, and I want to know about your baby. Hi, I'm Colette, and I had a baby. Um, Hi, I'm Django. I'm not a baby. He just looks like one. (laughs) (laughs) Why does that baby have such big chops? (laughs) (laughs) I think my baby actually has more hair than you do. I think -hmm. most people have more hair than I do. Mm. Yeah, It's the way it goes. I'm not on it today. I'm so sorry. Tell me I'm so about slow on the, the baby. I, we just saw the little guy awake downstairs <clears throat> staring yes. at our shrimp calendars. Yeah, yeah. He was uh, quite interested in the Shrimp Whisperer AKs, a uh, fabulous work that we carry here at the Comics Place. Yeah, we uh, just decided we really settled on the price for those calendars recently. So, bing, bing. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I. we had our baby. He's going to be five weeks old tomorrow. Um, his name is Hilo. 
Yes, after the Battlestar Galactica character. Uh, Jeff's, I'm guessing you're asking how big he is? No, no, no. I was making a capital H. Oh. With my hands. For an H. Hilo. Okay. For Hilo. Hilo. <laughs> Hilo. Yeah, a lot of people have been, when we say his name, they're like, oh, like the city, like in Hawaii. And like, I didn't know that was Hawaii. I didn't know that's a thing. It's like, yeah. like moon god, sun god. Justin it, would know, right? Isn't Helios? It's Sun. sun? Um, it's yeah. Helios. Yeah, was the Helios. Titan of the Sun who flew the Sun, the chariot that drug the Sun out of the ocean for the day, and then drugged flew. the Sun. Listen, I hope that you're not doing that with little baby Helo, and if he, if you are, I'm gonna come rescue him. I drug him with milk every time I need him to shut oh, up. Oh man, that's one of my favorite things about a little baby is after they finish nursing and they look up and they're just. Like punch drunk. Yeah, they, yeah. they look like their heads all wobbly. So that's what you're always looking for in me when I finish, and I, I, I don't. I'm just, I'm just ready to go to the next thing, and you're always looking to make you. And I'm ch- you're chesting my love drunk on your milk. So holy shit! Uh, favorite part of pregnancy or childbirth? Go. Oh, having the baby is the only thing worthwhile about. <laughs> about the whole thing. About the whole thing. What that about was... all the glowing you did? You glue. Yeah. You, you glue I didn't like get to Helios. see the glow. All I felt was the I'm going to vomit or piss or fall on the floor in <laughs> agony at any moment. Nice. And, uh, and everyone was like, oh, you've never looked so beautiful. And I'm like, I've never felt worse in my entire How? life. You know. So what you're saying is yeah. that, spoilers from Intellitonic, childbirth, kind of not all it's cracked up to be. You know, I know a lot of people who have had... Lovely experiences as pregnant. They were a little bit sick, but happy most of the time, could do things. They popped their babies out pretty easily. I was miserable for nine months, was in labor for 26 hours. I remember that part. Almost all of it in full labor, like contractions less than a minute apart, and had to have my baby pulled out of me with a vacuum because he got stuck and he was nine over nine pounds. Have you seen uh, Father of the Bride 2? No. Oh, okay. Well, maybe. I don't know. I'm St- Steve Martin. Used to be on TV all the time when I was a kid. I don't know great, if I stared great at it. Great, great flick. I'm just wondering how it holds up. Um, listen. <laughs> okay. Well, somebody, can I, somebody asked us right after you had your baby, how big was it? Who was this? I think you were there, and I said it was 25 pounds. (laughs) (laughs) I believed you. It was you. (laughs) Even though I had sent you a text with all the information? That's a lot of information, Colette. It's a lot of information. I I really got stuck on, like, you told me when you went into labor, and then I didn't hear from you for a day, like, until that (laughs) evening, and I was like, I have to assume everything went fine. Like, I'm sure everything went fine. Sam was like, is everything all right? I was like, it has to be, right? Like, she's definitely not still in labor. It's been, like, 13 hours. Uh, Yeah, no, I hadn't even transferred to the hospital yet. (laughs) We hadn't even given up on doing the home birth at that point. The next morning, Colette texts me, she's like, all right, it's done. Like, here's some deets. And I was like, holy shit, that's over 24 hours um, so when Jang who'd made the joke that it was 25 pounds, I was like, that makes sense. <laughs> was my only thought. Like, 25 hours is a long time. 25 babies. I usually think of it as like 9 pounds, 12 ounces. 15 pounds, 6 ounces. I mean, I've know? got babies. My mom was a midwife. And I still have never really made the connection of an easy-to-have size and a hard-to-have size. I, I just mean, never it's all really... kind of 
Nine your sounds tough. Body, yeah. Just from what it's I know. Yeah, when I <laughs> in my delirious state overheard a nurse going, "That huge baby came out of that tiny woman." <laughs> that makes you think. Okay, I, that was a big baby. <laughs> Heroic. That was hard. Hey, he seems like a cool, cute kid. He I don't is think he pretty seems like awesome. A big kid. Not I that there's anything. Him. Oh, cut that out, Jeff. Jesus. I'm, no, sympathy. <laughs> um, dude, what are we reading? What are we spoiling? In Teletonic, we've had sponsors since you've been, you know, further developing the collective consciousness of our entire uh, species. Um, yeah, let's pretend that I've, I know about this already and I've well, been totally listening to the podcast since I was gone. You oh, have could cut been, that out. Jeff's gotten real good at editing. <laughs> <laughs> you've been drunk on that mother's milk, I know. Um, I've been seeing, by the way, your head sort of bobbles around and... and <laughs> Let's talk about uh, Middle West Number One by Scotty Young and George Corona, Jorge Corona. Yeah, don't know. Uh, Exer Sisters Number Two by Ian Boothby and Giselle Legacy. Um, Marvel Knights Number Two by Matt Rosenberg, Donnie Cates, and Henry Sean. I just remembered we don't usually say who these are by at no, this point. No, but you're doing a great job. All right, I'm going to keep doing it. Yeah, how about you do the title and I'll do the, the people. Okay, American Carnage, number one. By Brian Hill and Leandro Fernandez. We're also going to talk about Black Badge, number four. By Matt Kent, Tyler Jenkins, and Hillary Jenkins. Age, oh, jeez. Black Hammer, Age of Doom, number seven. By Jeff Lemire and Rich Tommaso. <laughs> and Batman... Number 59, Dark Knight, colon, criminal. Tom King, Mikhail, Janet, Jordi Belair. Another thing that we're doing now, uh, mm-hmm. since you have been, again, sort of taking a, uh, a sunflower and taking its seeds and throwing it into the soil of our earth, uh, just sort of further advancing the beauty that is the human race. Um, uh, what I've done is I've uh, been talking about books that are coming out on a Wednesday uh, and putting it up on a, as a podcast. We're doing a separate podcast on your podcast feed that should be going up on Tuesdays, the day after our normal Perfectly Acceptable podcast. It tells you some of the stuff that you should look for, be excited about on that coming Wednesday. I bring that up right now because I remembered that um, in talking about American Carnage, which I was excited about, I said that the art looked a lot like the art from The Old Guard and The Discipline. Oh, um, and it kind of does. It is mm-hmm. that person. Oh, that's so, why. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> so I just needed to get that little foible out of the out of the way right away. Middle West number one. Let's spoil it. The spoilers, by the way, we're going to spoil a lot of things in this here uh, podcast. And okay. the spoilers are sponsored by Intellitonic. Intellitonic is Bellingham. Is oh gosh. I like it. We're going to have a lot of second takes here. It's a Coco Poco. (laughs) Intellitonic is a Bellingham-based, conversion-centric digital marketing agency focused on proving sales, not just traffic and impressions. It's their goal to become your business digital marketing department, not just your vendor. I think I already did the joke where I read the next text he sent me. Two times, actually. Okay. I'm not going to do it again then. Uh, You can find them at Intellitonic.com. So it sounds like... From that sort of hyperspeed, you know, Millennium Falcon, look out the side, see the stars zooming by description that you've just done, it sounds like a lot of people claim to advertise. And, like, 
what does it mean? What does that milk even taste like? It's Let's, not, it's, it's, it's advertising, but like how do you prove that your advertising works? What does it mean to have a shitty picture of Maynard James Keenan photoshopped into a sold out arena that he's not playing in with a shirt that somebody else made with a picture of Krampus on it that he's holding up? It's a Photoshop layer of layer of layer of shitty advertising. I think, you know, in our shop, when people come in, and sometimes you get somebody who just obviously doesn't understand and doesn't care about anything in the store. Mm-hmm. And we do our best to find something that will interest them. We've all got common ground, baby. Yeah. Everybody likes little tiny hands if they don't like something else no. in here. <laughs> um, Everyone loves Slicey the Pig. Yeah, Slicey the Pig, for example. But, but sometimes you get somebody who comes in and they don't care. They look around, they shrug their shoulders, and they leave unimpressed. We'll never come back. Yeah. Right? That's what Intellitonic doesn't do. Exactly. They get you nerds in your comic store. The second time that we have described what they do by saying what they don't do. I think it's perfectly acceptable. I think it's perfectly acceptable. (laughs) What I'll also add is they... They make sure that you get results. They advertise in a way uh, that's going to turn people... It's going to... It's advertising that's going to be seen by the right people, and it's going to translate to actual sales. Um... A thing that has just occurred to me is that we've talked about pregnancy for a while. <laughs> yep. We've talked about advertising for a while. And we're like a portion of this podcast and haven't talked about comics at all. Except for the Leandro Fernandez thing. Well, I keep telling people that this is a comedy podcast where we pretend that it's about comics. Okay. I like that. So we front-loaded the work, baby. Now get get in the back of my minivan, get in this Chevy, and let's head on down to Disneyland. I mean, are we even going to talk about comics today? It's a mystery. It's still a mystery. We said we would, but we might not. It's a mystery hidden in a tornado in the Middle West. Oh, the Middle West oh, by Scotty Young West. That, yeah, and Jorge Corona. Mm. I am probably in the minority of uh, the comic book world when I say that I'm not a super fan of Scotty Young. I, I don't. I was a fan of it when he was, like, that first wave of all new, all different Marvel where, like, they had a Scotty Young variant. And, like, mm-hmm. that was kind of – he had only done the Oz books. Right. And then you would get this cover of a hilarious little kid thing. And and then every single Marvel book since then has had a Scotty Young variant. Everyone wants his stuff. He's written stuff. He's drawn stuff. And I, not, I don't dislike it. No. By any means. He's a good He's a good tar- cartooner. Yeah. He's, but Scotty it Young is an artist. doesn't yeah. – it's just one of those things where I look at it and I can appreciate, oh, that's a clever little image, different take on a character I know, but I can't ever grasp how it translates to the super fandom that it gets. Yeah. And nothing wrong with that super fandom, but it just doesn't make sense in my brain. So I almost I almost just kind of blew this one off and didn't read it. And then I read it and I really liked it. I really liked it too. I yeah. did too. And he didn't do the art in this one, which is important to mention. He, he's writing this one. He's currently writing Deadpool. He's writing mm-hmm. a book called Bully Wars. Uh, he wrote I Hate Fairyland. Yep. And, and I, illustrated it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I am a, an amount of just like a cynical person. Really? I try, <laughs> I try not to be, and I try to find things that I, you know, like try to find good in things. But I, I, I do fall prey to the like when somebody is just sort of so widely adored and so mm-hmm. available that I just kind of get tired of seeing it. So unfortunately, through no fault of his own, that's kind of where he's been. And then to read this, I think this is super well written and heartfelt. Yeah. 
This was one of the sadder comics that I've read in a long time, and that's yeah. saying a lot for me. Comics Place Daddy Issues. Yeah. Um, but in a really, like, sweet, relatable kind of sadness. It's not, like, a depressing or... It's just... it's There's a melancholy of youth that it's just so heavy with, and yeah. and it's so relatable. And to the point where some pages I was like, oh, I, I don't... I didn't like being this age. I don't know if I want to read a kid who is so deeply in the worst that you could be of that age. Django but came then into it, the store, like, threw the door open, grabbed his pistols out of his holsters and said, guys, I fucking loved Middle West. <laughs> um, and none of us had read it yet. So, like, what struck you about it? It was just a, a really solid kind of the, the beginning, obviously, of a coming-of-age story that the the world looks a little bit run down, like a post-sci-fi world. It's not super technologically advanced, but there are all these, like, the, the buildings have these big pink liquid tubs hanging out outside of them. Uh, they never really explain what they are. The trains look a little bit weird, but it's mostly just like a rundown Midwestern town that has slight futuristic sci-fi stuff going on. And, and a talking fox. And a talking fox, and then, like, wizardry starts happening. And at first, I wasn't really sure if it was real wizardry or if the kid was imagining it. I didn't know if it was wizardry until I read the write-up at the end. Yeah, yeah the write-up at the end. I wasn't sure where this book could go mm-hmm. from the first story, but the write-up at the end, even if you just read, like, the first two paragraphs of it, was like, okay. Yeah. I know... I don't know where this is going, but I know what kind of a feel it's going to have in that. It it was reassuring. In a nut, in a nutter, uh, a kid like misses. A yeah, like in a nutter, uh, a, a kid is having a dream, and there's this really gorgeous framing dialogue where it says, "The Middle West. The wind is so violent here. I hate it. Sometimes I feel like it hates me." Um, this kid's having a horrible dream. He wakes up to his really abusive father yelling shitty things at him. He's forgotten to wake up for his paper route, which has only happened like twice in the five years he's been doing it. Um, a bunch of the papers get away from him, and he decides to go hang out with some friends. Instead, his dad says he has to come home. He's going to try and steal some candy because his friends want him to. He gets caught. His dad is super, super pissed, brings him home, tries to make him sleep outside. The kid finally says, fuck you. Dad starts getting pretty violent uh, and the kid runs away but the dad becomes this giant crazy tornado monster as he's running away so it is you know it's abusive parent kid escapism thing so i didn't know like what level of this was sort of fantasy from escapism yeah or whatnot Mm -hmm. the write-up says that it's it's magic yeah yeah which i liked Mm -hmm. yeah i i I like that it seemed pretty clear to the by the end to me that no, he it was foreshadowing or he has he was able to see this this magical thing coming and didn't understand it, but that it's just like such a a really great realized metaphor for that pain that he's been living in and that abuse. And I just thought there were some really nice moments throughout it too, like the the shop clerk that catches him. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm shoplifting and when he's waiting for his dad to come pick him up and he's clearly apologizing for real and the shop's clerk's just like kids are kids it's fine as long as you don't do it again and that having that kind of forgiveness and knowing that the dad is coming to pick him up yeah just like it hurts it's it's nerve-wracking such a sweet 
sad way. Um, I like the, uh, I really like the the dynamic between the kid and his dad. It felt, it felt scary, and that this stuff is sometimes a little heavy handed in comics, um, and this one felt like he was actually threatening and and not a cartoon character, even though he almost literally turns into a Tasmanian devil at the it, end. The thing that I, I think liked the most. It, so I love the art. I think the art is like really, really nice. But mm-hmm. beyond that, it is not. And actually, awesomely, Colette, the last time you were on, we were talking about the nine-panel grid. This one does not adhere to the nine-panel grid at all. Right. And it didn't. Mm-hmm. I didn't realize it until like eight pages in when I was like, it's, I don't know, it's, it's crazy. It's a bunch of boxes on a page fit together nicely, but it is not laid out in a way it, it follows the rules of comic booking it's very logical but it is not adherent to um division or space organization in in a typical way it it just the whole thing had a very confident unique flow to it yeah here's what i hope yeah i hope that we don't find out that the dad was an asshole to protect his kid from something or to train him into something i don't think we will no, I certainly hope not. Fingers you crossed. don't say something like your mom ran off because yeah. she didn't love you yeah. to make it. That. Didn't Snape say something like that to Harry, though? Spoiler alert. Snape's not who you think he is. Spoilers for Harry Potter number six, everyone. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't know. I, I, I could see that happening and that would upset me. It doesn't feel like that's where they're going, but, um, you know. Stories like this sometimes for sure yeah. set that up, and then that's your payoff. Yeah, it's. I agree. I hope this doesn't fall into sort of trope dumb. It that the the world building in this kind of reminds me of God Shaper, but not focused so much on explaining the world because God Shaper was all about like currency and the social work of it. Yeah, and and what happened and why it happened, and and it threw you into the world, but it explained it as it went. And this one just kind of. Let's you hang out in this world. And I, I think it's really, uh, really, really skillful. It's a skillful comic book, and the art doesn't not look like Scotty Young either. No, it's it's some of the characters of a look like the the Bully Wars yeah. kids. Um, I would I would give this one eight point five. I loved it. It's a really good comic book. That's my benchmark for a very good comic book that I think is skillful and I enjoyed. I would also give it eight and a half pounds of comic book baby. I thought you were talking about baby when you said that. <laughs> How um, many baby would you give it, Colette? Uh, I would give it a. I would give it eight new moms who read this and go, "Oh God, I don't want my kid to have to <laughs> no pain like this someday." Because I'm hormonal still, Cl- and it's sad. Um, Exorcisters <clears throat> number two. You already know who it's by. I like this comic, man. I do too. It's. It seems a lot like a webcomic. It seems like the art in it makes me think of um, if Jason Burroughs did a webcomic for young women. Mm. That's what this art reminds me of, and I really like it. And yeah. that's probably offensive to the artist, so I'm sorry. Yeah, but let's I, just skate it's past an, that It's a compliment. <laughs> oh, <laughs> skating. What? I don't know, Jeff. I'm, I'm, skating is offensive now? No. Okay. What? I missed something. Exorcisters, so number two. Ian Boothman. <laughs> Starting <laughs> over. <laughs> yeah, I also really like this book. And 
Uh, so I was off this week. I had a, a chunk of days off. Django's going out of town. He said, Jeff, you got to done take some days off. So I said, thanks, Daddy. <laughs> um, and uh, so I read my comics in a much different way this week. I sort of just chipped away at two or three at a time, which was real refreshing. This one was like one of the first three that I read because it just like felt like it was going to be immediately satisfying. Like yeah. kind of quick, colorful, nice art. Funny, dark, a little trashy, like just sort of all of these things that felt, you know, immediately like just dip in, dip out, and that's kind of how I felt about both it's, so far. Yeah, they're it's it's good, it's lightweight, but fun, start to finish, really. And and this time we get a little bit of history in uh, from from the family and find out that the mom is, you know, not not who we think she is, not. Not a bad guy, but not a not a good guy. Not not as bad of a person as I was hoping for from that sort of lead in from the first issue. Yeah. The first issue was basically here's some people that do a thing. And then this one was like all the exposition that could have been in a first issue. But I'm glad the they second, saved it. Yeah, I'm glad that they saved it. It was it was quite an exposition dump, but it uh, it flowed pretty well and it's never super exposition-y dumpy. And I've been pegged as a dude who doesn't like dense things. That's not what it is. I don't like things that are exposition dumpy. And this is all sort of wrapped in dialogue, and it flows through time in a natural way. The art tells a lot yeah. of the story. So it feels really good in that regard. Yeah, I don't I don't have a whole lot else to say about it. it it's just a good, fun reading comic. It's, it's like uh, eating licorice. It, like... It's like eating licorice. Or no, it's like eating licorice. Eating licorice. You know, as opposed to that other this is, licorice. This is a reading comic. You're gonna read it. You're gonna like it. You want a comic? You want some licorice? You eat the licorice. You want a comic? <laughs> you read the comic. They also did a good job of sort of explaining that, like, we found in the first issue that this darker version of this girl is actually her soul, and mm -hmm. that is explained. I liked that explanation for it. It gave it a grounded thing. It's not sort of this like a metaphorical representation of her soul. It's that like. Her soul was taken out of her body and then grew so much in a different way that it couldn't get rejoined. And Yeah. And that's cool. Yeah, I don't know. The the mom stuff was fine. I, th I think that I could have – I would have enjoyed if it was even darker, a little bit more – Well, there's this whole sequence where her mom, uh, after, after their dad leaves, uh, she tries to get a job and just gets rejected everywhere she goes. And that probably wouldn't have landed with me 10 years ago, Jeff. But it made me think, like, what if I had to go get a J-O-B at the mall right now? What would that be like? <laughs> <laughs> I don't think it would work. I think I'd be in the same situation as this lady. Uh, Django, <laughs> as cool as you seem and as, as awesome everyone says you are, you are not very hireable. 40-something, and you've never really had a job. <laughs> <laughs> and you want to sell shoes at Foot Locker? Really? <laughs> <laughs> that part seemed... Uh, yeah, that that got me in a way that I didn't expect it to. Like I, I I didn't think I would relate to that scene, and then as it dragged on, I was like, oh fuck yeah, this makes me <laughs> think about where I could be right now. Glenn, I think that you would like this book. I am really wishing I had read that book and plan to do it now. It's it the you know the it's they both seem like versions of Colette. They both seem like they could be versions of Colette, just 15 degrees, you know. More soul or less soul. Or counterclockwise. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. Uh, I give it a 7.5. Ditto. Yeah, just real, real good. Dip in, dip out, enjoy a comic book. doesn't need to be a big, huge piece of art, but yeah. it is a piece of art. Yeah, very well done. Sweet. 
Marvel Knights number two by Matthew Rosenberg, Donny Cates, and Henry Chan. Matthew Rosenberg. What did you call him? Uh, artist Nico Henrichon. <laughs> Henriken? What would you uh, say? It looks like Cornishon to me, so I would say Henrichon. Cornishon? Yeah, a little pickles you get. Oh. You ever eat a pickle? I've never had a pickle. Aren't they Cornishons? I thought they were gherkins. Oh, that's a different thing. It we sounds dirty when you say we gherkin. Say, we don't say gherkin. We don't say gherkin on the that. podcast. That's a... That's a Cucumber epithet. <laughs> yeah. And um, cucumbers, while delicious, are not something you can talk about publicly. Oh, okay. Unless they've been pickled. And All right. they're gherkins. I think I'm on record so as lost. not having liked the first issue of this. Yeah. Does that sound right? I, I, yeah. That was the one that I thought your opinion of it was the Green Lantern, which you, you had said that you just couldn't get into it because of the art. And that was Marvel Knights that you were talking about. I thought yeah. you were talking about Green Lantern. No, it was, it was Marvel Knights. The art was, the art was pretty rough. Um, and this one has, I think, better art. And also, basically, enough story. Like, I, I felt like this issue could have been number one. And the other issue could have been a number zero. There wasn't. I fucking heard you say that shit before, and I don't know what that means. If you especially since issue zeros should not exist because it's an issue, issue and therefore it should be a one. (laughs) Yeah, you could read this issue without having read the other issue, and it recaps enough, and the things that it doesn't recap don't matter. That is a. I love you. I think you're great. That doesn't make fucking sense. What what happened in the other issue that mattered? Like, we met Matt. He saw Karen. He couldn't touch her. Uh-huh. That's That all happened in the first three pages of this one also. Yeah, okay, okay. It's just not okay. in a graveyard. Um, the Punisher going to find Matt and his trials and tribulations with that and then showing Matt's character arc because he's like, fuck you, I'm bailing on this, and he bails. So, like, now when he shows up at the end of this one, like, he's had an arc or development. It also develops the Punisher because he has been turned away from, but he's persevering. He's like, fuck, I'm going to keep doing I mean, all that to say, yeah. like, th- like... You, th- those were your feelings about Spider-Man, and I'm, I don't... This is, th- it feels like one issue of shit spread out over two bags. <laughs> <laughs> it's like one shitload wow. on two doorsteps <laughs> with one lighter. Yeah. Uh, I, I totally agree with the, the assessment of the first issue. Like, the art really prevented me from getting into it. And when I heard that... Uh, the scripting duties were changing between issues. And when I heard that the art was changing between issues, I was pretty dismayed. Worked real, real well in this case because... This is a good fucking issue. It's a good fucking issue, and I only just basically remember what happened in the first one, and this one has, like, artistic swag to it that, like, makes it... It made me just... I could have... The first issue could have looked like this in my brain at this point because there's a lot of difference in the art to this one the the things that stand out to me are bruce banner going to the police station all in in his ripped up clothes and telling punisher the cop that when he wakes up some kid has written him notes and it's the hulk who has written him notes but didn't we learn that in the first issue i don't think we ever saw bruce in the first issue huh or if we did i forgot all my shit's getting mixed. Yeah, and maybe it's because we're shitting in multiple bags here. 
it's hard yeah. to swap those bags out. Yeah. <laughs> um, Colostomy style. I, I really like that. I really like the fight between Punisher and Elektra and watching Bruce turn into the Hulk over the course of three panels that was awesome. in the cop car. Yeah. Uh, and still just kind of sit there mm-hmm. sort of calmly. I thought that was pretty awesome. Uh, and, and just having the end of this be sort of the, hey, we kind of got to team up. And and then having Electra see the Karen Page ghost. Yeah. Well, I thought I thought that was cool. Although, as as they pointed out on that other podcast we listened to, we both listen to a different podcast. Why, why does Daredevil need a ghost that is visual? Or maybe she's not. Well, yeah, that's the thing. I don't know. I guess we just we don't know if she's visual or not. Or maybe, maybe she died in the other reality. And he was seeing the other reality version, and there's a living version of her in this one, and that's a different person. Or, I guess my question is, yeah, we don't know how this relates to either the Marvel Knights universe or our normal universe or anything like that. But I, I think that you can just view this as a very separate story that's five or six issues and appreciate it yeah. in that regard. And I don't mean to discredit your opinion about the zero issue, one issue thing. I I, I do. I, <laughs> I think it's bullshit. <laughs> I, you know, like... We got a kingpin lead in that first issue too. Yeah, and the doctor. Right? Do, do Remember stuff. that picture where he looked like a big old baby? Yeah, he looked like a big old baby. Big, big baby kingpin. <laughs> but no, I mean, like you, you under. I just can't exactly understand what you mean by that yet. But you've said it enough times. I know that you are I, are expressing a feeling that I can't quite put a finger to when you say that. So yeah, I might be wrong. I maybe I just didn't read it very close. I don't think it's wrong. I think it's just I yelled at you. <laughs> And when I yell, it has that effect on I people. I like this Jeff feeling bad at me. Uh, I just want to value everyone's opinions, even when we disagree, <laughs> right? Like, everybody, we can have constructive conversation, even when we disagree. This art is fucking awesome. That's our common it ground. Is. It is. I would give this issue a seven and a half, almost an eight. If this was the only comic that came out that I read this week, I wouldn't have been bummed. Hey, Django, ride or die, baby. I'm going to give it an eight with you. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. ride or die. Hey, uh, Phil, what did we give the first one? Don't fucking shrug at me. <laughs> okay. Put your ass got back on, Whatever. Phil. <laughs> I like that he's wearing that these days. I love it. Yeah. I it's like it. a like a perpetual Fred from Scooby Doo costume. You know how I think of him? I, I think of him sort of as if if RIP, if we still had Prince with us. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Phil is our prince. Yeah. Prince Phil. Yeah. Prince Phil. It's good to see you, man. It's been too long. That was rude. Come on, not man. Not from you, from him. No, I know. Yeah. No, saw? he likes to give me a hard time. It's yeah. fine. He pretends that I'm not here. I get it. Yeah. I'm well, still I mean, that be nice little finger him. wasn't exactly pretending you weren't here. <laughs> yeah. Did you guys read American Carnage? I read half of it. It was the first book I, I read, started reading this week because uh, I was excited about it. We talked about it on that, the mini podcast from last week, and um, I haven't gone through it yet. It's not that it was a bad comic. I just... I really liked it. Thank you. I, I, I yeah. Yeah, it, I read it, and I'm sad that you haven't read the second half because that's when I liked it more. I, yep. I didn't dislike it at all. I was liking the art. I was liking everything about it. It was just like night of the first first day, first comic book, and I was like, you know what? I don't really feel like doing this right now, and so I didn't. And then I was like, give me popcorn for the rest of the week. Yeah, in the form of other books. This is not popcorn. This no. is this is heavy heavy stuff, and uh, I think handled really well. Yeah, I was really nervous as I was reading it that it, at any moment it was going to go over that line. 
There are a couple become, directions it could have gone that would have been a bummer. Yeah, but it it sits right where it needs to to be just uncomfortable enough and uh yeah, it was it was really good. So this follows a black female FBI agent who is uh trying to uh, kind of trap or uh, shut down this super racist politician. And she goes out and finds uh, an ex-FBI agent who is not active anymore because he he was in a situation where a kid died. And, uh, and so he's not active. And, and she asks him, because he's half black and half white and passes for white, she asks him to go infiltrate this... Um, politicians group uh because she can't really get a any any proof that the politician is a total dirtbag so he does it by meeting up with the daughter to join a club that she's got that that they're hoping is going to be this racist cross-burning uh lynching club and by the end he's in and there's a ton of stuff going on in the on, on the last page um that just says these are Good old boys and bad old boys, kind of, and it's it re- it it reminds me of like Eduardo Riso art, uh, so super moody, lots of shadows, um, just just really good kind of noir feel to it. We I, I had heard it compared to Scalped mm-hmm. in terms of the story structure, but even more than that. Like the art is very scalped to me. It's dirty yeah. and grimy and shadowy in that same way that you said. It's it's like a Rousseau Guerra yeah. looking thing. It's yeah. got a nice like the color is used a lot to get that noir effect mm-hmm. though, but not in the normal sepia tones or just heavy shadowing kind of way. Like there's a lot of light greens kind of washed over everything. You and, know when they're under fluorescent lights. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's the colors are really impressive in this to me i i really liked how they added to the feel and made it different enough it wasn't yeah it wasn't the same old same old that you're looking at and it's got kind of almost like a there's almost like a tyler jenkins quality to the faces and some mm-hmm. of the the structure of it too Tall, so it's that night yeah, yeah like it's it's definitely a face but it's just contorted enough that it just gives you more mood to that setting than just a normal, straightforward face, and yeah, I think it's great. And Brian Hill, who's the writer, is—he's uh, a black guy who's written detective comics lately. He wrote the the Wildstorm uh, Michael Cray, Cray spinoff. Um, he hasn't done a ton of stuff, but because he's done a lot of stuff outside of comics, he's. I googled I him yeah, yeah. briefly just to because it was. A couple pages in, it was one of those, like, I hope this isn't a white dude writing yeah. this. Yeah, Because exactly. I don't know if I want to keep mm-hmm. reading this if it's uh, – but – I had that feeling about Scalped, and luckily Jason Aaron pulled it off. Yeah. Um, which which – that, that could have gone real poorly, I think. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, it's one. not to say that not everyone has a right to write any story, but it – the way it's handled has to be very careful, depending. But uh, that was an awesome point, Colette. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I I read the I read everything this morning because I 
got my books last night and my baby was sleeping, so I crammed everything in. And this one was one that I was trying to read everything really fast. And I was like, no, I got to take this in slowly. And um, yeah, it was really good. And I didn't get that he was a politician. I thought he was like a like a church leader, or one of those kind of Bill O'Reilly type um, uh, maybe, maybe kind of he characters. Is. He's a writer and uh, I don't know. I... But whatever character he is, he is creepy as all hell, even if he's not, because you don't know throughout the issue if he is actually doing the things that she thinks that he is Mm -hmm. or if not. But it was one of those, like, no matter what, I don't like this dude. He is creepy. And you don't actually see him that much. Author, podcaster, philanthropist, is that him? Yeah, Yeah. so not a a politician, but a... A f- uh, public figure, I yeah. guess. That's the page that I stopped reading on, like yeah. that halfway mark where he's introduced. Yeah. Yeah, yeah he creepy. I don't know. Yeah. I would give this an eight. I think it's uh, some really good comic booking. I think it's really, um, it like it hits, it, it gets all my, all of my Revin. favorite kind of things, Revan. Yeah, I I think I'd give it an eight and a half. I, uh, I'm... I'm excited to read more of this. I, the when I opened it up after the cover, because Vertigo loves to do a gorgeous cover that does not match the interior mm. at all. All right. Actually, Tyler Jenkins. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Smooth. Black Badge Number Four by Matt Kent, Tyler Jenkins, Jenkins, and Hillary Jenkins. So you describe this as sort of the one that it's kind of clicking for you. Yeah, this is this is the one that got me on board. I've, Tell me about that. I don't know how I got four issues into a comic that I wasn't super stoked about, but I think it was just kind of riding that grass king's yeah. high. Yeah. And this not being a, it, it's never been a bad comic. I just would have expected myself to drop off by now. But this issue opens up the world a little bit more and gives us, I think, a little less, less caricatured characters for the team. So we, we learn a little bit more about these guys, um, but less like, this is the hothead, this is the funny guy, this is the fat kid. It's it's more like showing than telling. And also, there's a scene where they get picked up by this old hippie in a van, and he mentions that he is he used to do communications for the Grass Kingdom. And that, that made me wonder if this is in the Grass Kingdom world. I think it is, and I... Love, love, love that idea. I really like the idea that the Grass Kingdom has, like that the world of the Grass Kingdom has this other kind of James Bond story going on in it at the same time, because that's not something you see often. Glad, have you kept up with any of this stuff? I am two issues okay. behind. I loved the first two and just somehow, oh, no, because issue three came out like right when yeah. Hilo was born, so mm-hmm. I missed it, and then... I didn't have time to read it and get to this one before today. There's but not a lot of plot progressing in these. Like, this is the first time I feel like we've had kind of an indication of a plot rather than sort of one-shot sabotage adventures. Yeah, so, like, mm-hmm. I wouldn't say it's a spoiler. In this issue, so, like, one of the four is missing, mm-hmm. has died or something, so we're sort of... The protagonist, or the person we latch onto, is this person who's filling in a role in this group of four young boys who uh, are Boy Scouts in this group called the Black Badge, and they do these like actual like false flag military government missions disguised as children. Um, but 
we run into the kid who went missing in this issue and find out that he actually was being groomed and trained for some like really pretty nasty shit from the government mm-hmm. and then faked his own death and has disappeared and and, mm. and so they and he, and he says like the government people you're working for are, are bad news so they keep that a secret and are rewarded for well performance on the thing that they do here and are now taken to this place called like the rainbow badge something where they meet three other groups that are like the pink badge, the teal badge, the black badge and like the blue badge or something like that. Um, and they all are sort of different and that's where we end. But it, it has a cool, it's no longer like, what if these kids are actually doing this stuff? Like that's no longer the story. The story now is more, all right, like how heinous are the people that they're working for? Can they trust these people or is this kid not trustworthy? And it gets a lot, it gets just a lot more like who can you trust at this point? Yeah. I do think that that makes it a lot more interesting at this point. Yeah. I was really liking the first two issues, but it, it did feel like something's going to have to change for this to have longevity or go past a five issue storyline. Well, give it to number four because Oh, I'm going to give it till it ends. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I was loving it to begin with. And I pretty much anything those two do, I will. I will follow through. And the on. cover is awesome. And it's so yeah. charming to have it mention the Grass Kingdom. And one of the buttons on the back is a button for mind management. Yeah. Which is funny. Yeah. Do you think that's in the same world? Did you read that? I didn't read that. I, didn't but read I don't think either. so at all. I think that's just sort of a, a visual reference to something that's I feel like there was a reference to it in one of the early issues, though, too. To mind management? Yeah. Have you read that? No. Okay. But I think I saw, like, a, someone had a book or there was something in one of the early ones. Huh. I can't remember. Huh. Am I might be making that up. No, they may be reference like mind management as a, a thing you can be doing, which, you know, like it, it, it's something you can get a badge for at this point. So I, yeah. I, I bet that it came up. That makes sense. Um, I give this one an eight. A seriously good comic book that I liked a lot. Uh, I'm going to give it a seven and a half. I'm going to keep reading it. I'll bet that I like the whole series more than a seven and a half by the time it's over. Also, that cover. All those badges on that cover. Look at those badges. So many badges. Freaking badges. Badges. Did you read Black Hammer? Yes. Okay. Age of Doom, number seven. Yeah. So, seven, six, five. Like, I guess it was four, issue number four three, that two, we won. So that was very good. Um, I think it was issue number three or four, I think four, that we learned... What has been happening in Black Hammer? Like, who are these people? Where are they? Why are they here? And what happened to precede them being in in this weird farmland? And after we figure that out, something happens to separate at least some of the group, and Colonel Weird is separated from it. And we've then just gone on this little two-issue mini with art by Rich Tommaso in the land of creative ideas. Un- like forgotten story ideas. Yeah, it gets real meta, which is my favorite thing. Like yeah. it's g- this issue goes very uh, Grant Morrison, Animal Man. Mm-hmm. It's like got some Alan Moore in it. It's but basically, you know, the sort of big crux of this is that Colonel Weird gets to a place in this land where he's in where he escapes it because they're trying to get to reunite with the characters in the Black Hammer. And all of his buddies, like the people he's running with, are from old stories 
that never happened in their reality, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, except for one of these characters showed up in the Black Hammer annual. Right. So one of these characters actually has seen creation. So because of that, he's able to guide Colonel Weird out of this spot, and he comes out Jeff Lemire's ear, and we're able to clearly see somebody. You don't see his eyes, but it's clearly Jeff Lemire in, like, a yellow flannel. Uh <laughs> And and he's like, gosh, it's the creator. And then they're like, oh, gosh, we're in this guy's brain. It's like, we're not even in just in this guy's brain. Like, this is the place where stories come from. And it's got all these other creators. And gosh darn it, that is the line that I really, really like to ride in comic books. That's the thing that, like, Grant Morrison can do and Jonathan Hickman can do. And until now, I didn't see Jeff Lemire doing it. Except for there's that one little reference to Sweet Tooth that happened in, like, issue three of Age of Doom. Like, they go through realities and they open a door and we see, like, the Sweet Tooth kid sitting there. Yeah, I guess I just took that as there are other worlds in this. Yeah. And here's one of them and I happen to write it. Yeah. And also draw it. Yeah, but, like, for me with this issue, it's more like <clears throat> these are all linked up because we're in the sort of, like, creative canals of this one person's brain and we're yeah. going through it. And I really like that and I really like... Uh, Rich Tomasso's art in this it's the most I've liked his art in a thing yeah his his art I think I've said it before it just like it never appeals to me but when I'm reading it it fits really well yeah and I I think about that like even as I was reading this it's like that's the perfect description for it um, I talked to Justin about this issue and he loved everything that you loved about it but do you know what his favorite thing about it was I'm still st- stunned that he like had to have read 10 issues of Black Hammer since the last time I talked to him his favorite part was uh, Abraham Slam's sidekick, Ham Slamwich. Yeah, I believe that. The pig. That. Yeah. Of course. Uh, he's, a, he's a pig boy. He is. Peter he's Porker one is those, like one of his favorite uh, characters. Pig guys. Yeah, I'm super, super pumped he's current with this. Because uh, we didn't so, want yeah. Do we get another issue of Rich Tommaso or do we... I don't think so. Do you so. think we switch out and go to the other, the other characters now? I think we go to the other characters now, but now that I think about it, I don't know when the last time I placed an order for this book was. So this might be the end of what will be the third paperback, and we might be on a little bit of a hiatus. So if we're on a hiatus, then that's going to give us one more issue of Quantum Age, and then probably four or five issues of Cthulhu-ease. Yeah, and that might be a one-shot. This is amazing. Django has the most comprehensive understanding of this universe, as far as I know at this point. I've read every issue so far. And all the, all the spinoffs. Stuff. Yeah. It's it's fabulous. Yeah. It's, it's a huge universe. The, the Quantum Age series goes... It's basically Legion for the Black Hammer characters. So they go thousands of years into the future, and they have great-grandchildren, great-great-great-great-grandchildren and clones and robots and shit from, from our time. It's... It's a huge story, and I, I think it's really, really, really well done. I love how much it mirrors, like, actual, like, DC stuff, like the dark side, like, anti-god stuff. He's, he, you can tell he's having fun. Yeah. And it feels like he's got a story in mind that is, this, like, the scope of Hellboy, and the, the release patterns and the way that they're putting these books out feels like Hellboy. And yeah. I really hope that that doesn't turn new readers off and that they find a good way to collect these that kind of puts everything in order so that you can you don't feel like you have to read those side stories because I think they are really important to the the overarching story, but 
I, w- I would be intimidated by something that has five series that I have to read. That's why I've never read Hellboy. We're like about 20 issues into this main story at this point, And like mm-hmm. more than ever, I want to turn people onto it. And I'm like, oh, there's two paperbacks, but you can read them. You're, re- you're really going to like them. Trust me. Because like it gets awesome. So yeah. uh, I give this one a nine. I give this one an eight. Um, mostly because of the art, I think. I like the I like the meta stuff. The art was appropriate for the story, but not the best thing. It'll be nice to have story. Ormstein or whatever his name is back. Yeah, um, for sure. Okay, Django. Jeffrey? Ninety seconds on the clock. Buckshots for days. Listen, you're, you're not. Don't worry, I'm not there yet. Is get it on the clock. It's there now. Okay, night moves number one. Uh, this is uh, from. IDW, it's kind of weirdo, hard-boiled detective stuff with shitty characters doing shitty things to people. Classic Django. Yeah, and and the occult. And when I say the occult, I mean weirdo science occult and also skulls and decapitated heads and FBI agents who are throwing up. Um, Yeah. Clap. Really cool. Dude gets blackjacked in the back of the head at the end of the issue. Oh. That's straight up. Straight up my my cup of tea. Uh, hot lunch, not over yet. Art is still awesome. Way too many characters for me to know what's going on. But uh, I read every single issue and I love them. Uh, burnouts, number three. We get to see the kids fight cows and uh, beat up aliens that come out of the cows. This is another book that kind of like uh, the Exorcisters that we talked about earlier does not look like a comic I would enjoy, but it's it's delivering... It's delivering on every level for me. Uh, even, I mean, especially the Chris Burnham covers. Um, I also read Gideon Falls number eight, and that one, not my favorite issue of the series. It feels a little bit like a bridge, but the worst issue of this comic is still better put together and executed than any other comic that comes out on a given week. The, the cover, cover through the through to the end. It's gorgeous. So are you, Django. Tells good stories. I like it. <laughs> what are your scores, <laughs> you creep? Uh, I'm going to give Night Moves a seven. Perfectly acceptable comic book. You should read it. I'm going to give uh, Hot Lunch a seven and a half. If, if I'd sat down and read them all, I'd probably give it an eight. Hot Lunch special. Hot Lunch special. I would give Burnout's... Also a seven, perfectly acceptable comic book. I should go back through and see if they swear in it. This isn't an all-ages comic because it's about kids smoking weed in order to see the truth, but it could be like a like a late teenage comic that we could feel okay recommending to kids um, if their parents are willing to talk to them about drugs. After they read you know it. What, you know what Barry calls doing drugs? What? Getting danky. <laughs> I get really danky and I can't see straight. <laughs> Gideon Falls, eight. A bad issue of Gideon Falls is an eight. Jeff. Collette. You got 90 seconds. I don't think you even need to set that timer because I had no time. Uh, I read GoBots number one by Tom Scioli. I don't know. Probably. Scioli. Let's talk about pronunciation for a while. Yeah. Let's let's (laughs) eat up my time with that. 
Um, I grabbed this off the shelf because I thought we'd be talking about it tonight, and we are because I read it. <laughs> um, this was a book that is about something from when I was a kid that I never paid attention to. So this is my first intro to it. Uh, it's definitely Transformers-esque, but uh, yeah, GoBots, they're a thing. Um, people are inside robots that are sentient, and they fight, and there's an uprising. Really, this was pretty, and that's pretty much my, uh, my review of it. It was a comic. I didn't regret reading it, and it was really pretty to look at. There you go. It's in that vein of, like, uh, wait, that, yeah, like the hip-hop family tree guy. Ed Pisker. Ed Pisker. Mm-hmm. And, like, lots of text, gorgeous retro-looking art. Yeah, really the- smudgy pages, like it looks like someone pulled some old newsprint out of the trash and no did a comic on it. No regard for how many panels are on a page. Yeah, it, it's it got that... In, Justin talked about it f- for quite a while when I was pulling it off the shelf. If you want to know more about it than my sad description, talk to Justin. Uh, but he was talking about how it looks like... It looks like a kid who's really good at art drew it. <laughs> which I That's thought a is a really, really great description of it. Like, it's got that innocent, pared down, but actually really detailed and really good quality to it. Is Ed Piscor Tom Scioli time traveling? Ed Piscor is Tom Scioli older. Is time that what travel. you're saying? Yeah. Talk to me about Intellitonic. Man, Intellitonic is uh, a company that's upstairs. They got a bunch of uh, handsome people Pretty people. Salt and Pepper Princes. Salt oh. and Pepper Princes working up there. Uh, we watch them walk past the comic store a lot of days. One sometimes of them gets they come San in. Pellegrino sometimes with his dog. And it's oh, yeah. Very good. You know who that is? Who? That's our guy, Alex. Nope, that's Frank. Oh. Frank's two dogs. Dog. How many dogs are in Whoa, that Well, Alex has a little, he's got one of those dogs that's adorable but scrunched. Oh. And Frank has yeah. the one that's got the mane. Uh, the mane what? The big black mane. The mane, Costello, the mane. Oh, you're being Roman. You're filling in for Roman. Thanks. <laughs> I am. Uh, that's an Abbott and Costello reference. You should Google it before you cut that out. Okay. Yeah. I think you'll appreciate that. <laughs> okay. They do chance. Oh. Intellitonic, however, doesn't do chance. But take a them. chance on them. Take a chance on no chance. <laughs> <laughs> um, what do you give GoBots numbers? Oh, um, uh, I give it a seven. Nice. Seven and a half, maybe? Yeah. Somewhere in That's there. good. That yeah. art, I mean, yeah, it seems yeah. like a thing that art alone, it's... Yeah, I, I'm tempted to actually keep reading it if I can find time, which is, like, for me right now, saying a lot. He's strangely so, compelling. He did yeah. the um, Transformers versus G.I. Joe, the movie adaptation of a movie that never existed. Yeah, I was hearing all about that from Justin, like I knew yeah. what he was talking about, and I just smiled and nodded well, for a we while. we talked about it on the podcast. <laughs> Super weird. Jeff, 90 seconds, go. Oh, man. Immortal Hulk number nine by Confidence. Al Ewing and Joe Bennett is so, so good. Um, it really opens up the idea of what, is it father issues that are haunting the Hulk? Or when he fought that Sasquatch, had Sasquatch been exposed to some sort of like evil entity? And then when he when Hulk sucked his evil gamma out, did it get planted in him and then now this red hulk crusher creel has absorbed it from him and it's got this weird psychedelic evil thing there really advancing some of the mysteries of like is it psychology or is it evil 
which everyone should be asking about psychology. Punisher number four, <laughs> very, very, very good by Matthew Rosenberg and Simon Kodronsky, who frames a bunch of panels with like stitched up skin, like sutures that you could pop or your body would normally dissolve if your bodily normally dissolved. Jigsaw. Um, but listen, we're all here today to talk about Web of Venom, Carnage Born, which was as good as you'd hope it would be. The art was fantastic. Donny Cates basically re-summarizing everything that's happened with Carnage from his creation up to his multiple deaths and then reframes sort of who that character is to be someone that can have died and come back several times, which, you know, I appreciate you doing. At some point, he's floating in space in some weird armor that falls to Earth. That was pretty bizarre. But uh, ultimately, at the end, Carnage comes back, and that is great because they're rebuilding Carnage through basically bringing symbiotes back together. Super, super cool. At first he comes back and you're like, he's just mostly black and a little bit spots of red, but then they bring a portion of the symbiote that he had created from scorn. He just like murders her and eats her, and then he looks like classic sort of red carnage. Hmm. So fucking good. I love Carnage and Venom so much. Hey, I got a question. Yeah. The Immortal Hulk number nine yeah. has art by Martin Simmons as one of the artists. And Joe Bennett, yeah. Where do we know Martin Simmons from? Because I recognize Joe Bennett. He's been all over that, that series, right? I don't know, but that's a great question. It looks a little bit like um, Del Mundo. Maybe some Del Mundo. I can see that. Like Del Mundo if he had Phil Noto doing backgrounds. <laughs> it's like Phil Noto's sort of like flat, strong lines and then sketchy stuff behind it. Yeah. But when kind this... of cartoony like like Del Mundo, when, especially when they're fighting. Yeah. It's interesting when this series – yeah, the the, uh, the Del Mundo white, white lines. It's interesting when this series uses multiple artists because they assign artists to do it to represent different time zones, like different mm -hmm. periods of time, like flashbacks or something. <clears throat> that is, I just really appreciate that. So it doesn't feel like you've just got an artist jumping into a story that you're reading. You know, you got mm -hmm. this, an art to represent a time, and that's very good. He's got some Kyle Baker in it, right? Oh, yeah, absolutely. That, that giant mouth on the Hulk, that's Kyle Baker all yeah. the way. So... Hey, I uh, restarted it instead of just stopping it. Is that cool? Yeah, yeah, it's totally okay. cool because, Jeff, you're a monster who just did a whole second buckshot, although I was answering <laughs> a question. I don't know. I'll justify it. What do you give these? I give Immortal Hulk 9, 8.5. No, 9. Super fucking good. God, i got to read this it's comic. so good. It's one of the best things coming out Number for me. Number 2 is wow. super valuable all of a sudden, too. It's a first appearance of somebody important now. Yeah. It's like... I believe it. It's that Kate's thing. Donny Kate's made number twos and threes valuable. Yeah, yeah. And now Al Ewing's doing it too because all the Marvel writers are just sort of following suit. Um, Kate's apes. Yeah. Kate's <laughs> apes Kate, aping that Kate's stank. <laughs> Punisher number four, I give a 7.5. I liked that issue a lot. It's still a Punisher book, which means it's sort of like it's tricky for it to do like my top tier. It's like in one eye and out the other, but really good. Yeah, it's it's really well done. Did you read that one, Django? Oh yeah. Did you like it? I liked it a whole lot. Yeah. I like Jigsaw. I don't know why. It's like such a stupid over the top character. I've never I didn't know him. Well, he's the guy who stitched all those panels together. He sure did. <laughs> and then Web of Carnage, Web of, Web of Venom Carnage Born, I give a 9 also just cuz it's Jesus. Gross to watch Donny Cates dye his hair blonde and then dark again and still be a guy that I fucking love. <laughs> hey, uh... Yeah. Will you pass me that Murphy's apple juice? 
I've got mine. I'm just thirsty. I got a different bottle of Murphy's. They sent it to us for nothing. I think they feel bad. Maybe we'll get them back. They should feel bad. I, you know what? I'll get a hold of them this week. Okay, yeah, I don't give them a call. Good about that. I'm gonna be gone for like a week and a half. I know. <gasps> I'm driving across the country to Orlando, and then flying back, and I'm not gonna go to Disney World or Why Disneyland or whichever one's down there. World. I'm not going to Disney World. Wouldn't expect you to. Yeah, I'm afraid I, I'm, I'm not. You're allowed. an Epcot kind of guy. <laughs> <laughs> I guess that's technically part of Disney World. <coughs> Batman number fifty nine. Well Michael, done, Jeffrey. Mike Mikhail Janin, Tom King, Jordi Belair. This issue hurt. Colette, are you reading all this Bat Boys stuff? I read this book every time I'm on this podcast. Nice. So I haven't read since Dick got shot in the head. That was only four issues ago. Um and this is direct fallout from that. Yeah, though this was one that most of the time when I pick up this book, I feel like each issue, though it's all connected, also reads very self-contained. Mm-hmm. Or at least the ones that I've happened to be able to pick no, up. No, I, I super agree. Almost this every issue. This one, not so much. Really? Yeah. This one, I felt... The second half, I started feeling more, okay, I'm, I get what's going on and I'm getting to enjoy this, even though I haven't read what led up to this. I really... For the first half, though, was wishing I'd read the last issue. I mean, what led up to this was just Dick Grayson getting shot. Well, but this is part two of a two-issue arc that, like, it... I, I can see what you're saying. I, a lot of them have been, like, three-issue or five-issue things. Mm-hmm. Um, and all of those little mini things has has seemed to, like, either stand apart as a little... Doesn't need to have been, you know, a part of a 60-issue run. Um, I think because this is a shorter thing, like two issues. This one does really lean on the issue right before it. Mm-hmm. I mean, maybe there's a lot being left open, but it really felt like I couldn't tell what was just being vague for the sake of being vague and what was I was missing stuff because I hadn't read the last one. So so in this issue, um, at the end of the last one, Penguin tells Batman, like, he had been summoned by Bane in Arkham, who's taken over Arkham, to go and kill Alfred, and he was about to do that, and he lures Batman up, and then he tells Batman, hey, we need to talk, right, as he stops this guy from killing Alfred, so Batman hears that, and then, you know, in this one, Penguin tells Batman that Bane has been running Arkham, everybody works for him, all this crazy shit, and he's sick of it because he killed his, the person that he loves, so Batman, yeah. Who we never see. I know, and... In the last issue, it occurred to me that it was maybe a penguin, which somebody else also thought. <laughs> like, that. Yeah. like the penguin is maybe in love, in with, love a with a penguin. Yeah, because we I don't would ever like see that who a whole it is. Lot. Yeah, me too. Mm-hmm. But uh, so Batman goes to confront Bane, who, as far as he knows, like twenty-five issues ago, um, Psycho Pirate, I think, had like made him insane, and he's been captured and put in Arkham. So as far as Batman knows, he's been in Arkham insane and cowering like he finds him when he goes to confront him and he is beating the shit out of him and ultimately he gets no closure like Bat- Bane totally seems like he is not this bad psycho person Bane takes a lot of lumps that part where Batman headbutts him I yeah. felt I felt like Batman's going to brain damage Bane yeah and I don't like this. Well, he could have just about killed Bane here. You know, like it. Yeah. Gordon comes in, tries to stop him. Yeah, that 
moment hurt. <laughs> yeah. That was where Batman punches Gordon. Yeah. yeah. So Because you already feel like when when Batman headbutts Bane, like he's just gone past the point of having any self control. Yeah. And you're just like, man, that was you crossed the line, Batman. I can't oh God. And then Gordon you scare says, me you when you cross the line down, and then son. He calls him son. Oh, which yeah. is like you know Batman appreciates on some deep level. But then right after he punches him, you can see you can see just in his body language that he's not happy with himself. Like Gordon tells him to get out and he he almost tries to apologize there. He's like, Gordon. And then Gordon yells at him some more and, and Batman like doesn't say anything. He's kind of hangdog there and he just he he ends up leaving. Um I'm sick of you. Get the hell out of my sight. Gordon says yeah. to him. Oh, that's so some heavy brutal. shit there. Yeah. Yeah. And then as Bane's getting wheeled off, we see him smirk. Yeah. So mm-hmm. so how much of this was planned? Did, did he tell the oh. penguin to not shoot Alfred? Did, or did he just plan on the penguin chickening out? Pardon the expression. Penny, mm-hmm. Penny the penguin. Yeah. <laughs> um, it almost like, yeah, I don't know. Doesn't matter because clearly what we've learned here is that Bane is orchestrating breaking Batman. And this is, at first, like he broke him physically and exhausted him and broke his back. But his this time, he's, damn back. Yeah, it's true. This time, he's actually like breaking him mentally in a way that I don't feel like, you know, that original Nightfall stuff happened. And he's like, yeah, he broke him mentally enough just in this issue to punch his one of his best friends. Yeah, and make even us, the reader, be like, is he losing his mind? Yeah. Like, he's isolating him from everyone, including his readership, which which is, like, an, an incredible, incredible thing. So Tom King is doing something. Like, yeah, it, it, it does read confusing, because the whole time I was like, is this or is this? Like, that was my feeling. And then it wasn't until that last page where we see Bane smirk that it was like, oh, fuck. Like, yeah. Bane is doing this. Yeah, because I was like, did Bane somehow manage to get someone else in the, I mean, and part of this is because I've been bad and haven't read all of it, but but that smirk at the end, those three panels there with his face, that art is so good on that page, too. Yeah. And that little smirk, it was like, okay, this is this is awesome, and it is him, and this is this is one of, this is what I always wanted the Scott Snyder run of Batman to be. I liked that run. It never was as good as it felt like it should have been to me, though. And it seemed better than it was because it was surrounded by a lot of kind of trashy DC comics at that point. Yeah. Because like the New 52 had kind of just fallen off for two years and it was the only thing that was worth reading. And I always like when when a writer plays with the fact that Batman is such like the perfect example of the patriarchy and he knows better than anyone else and that there's this like fine line of what he does of going too far and being too self-involved and when you are that sure of yourself what keeps you in check and all that but this series I think actually does a Batman that's skirting that line or that's crossing it every so often that you can actually still root for I feel like so often people write Batman and they play with that line and he just ends up being kind of an asshole. Well, you're rooting for him to and, stop doing it. Yeah, to be the Batman you want him to be that you know he can be. Yeah, because a lot of times when he goes that far, you're you're like, oh, fuck, you did something I don't like with Batman. And this time it's like, oh, 
That poor guy, he's losing his shit. Yeah. It definitely feels like this is the same writer as Mr. Miracle. And yeah. it's issues like this that you can sort of see the connection in tone and theme, which isn't immediately always present. So, I mean, obviously we're going to finish this. Yeah. But if you ask me halfway through this issue if I had the Constitution to read another 41 issues, I would not be sure. Because <laughs> this was... This issue... Like, I could hear Batman hurting Bane a lot. And it wasn't comic book violence. It was like, I don't know if you're going to recover from this kind of violence. Well, even before that, when he punched the guard or like yeah kick the shit out of him to make a point to the rest of the guards i was like i no, really you're that far gone that you're doing that what's the rest of this gonna be like and then yeah red and I, I hope he i hope he starts working through this shit pretty soon <laughs> yeah i <laughs> i it's like I don't like it as much as the Grant Morrison Batman run, but it's probably my second favorite Batman story mm-hmm. that I've ever read at this point. Um, and that says a lot for me. Yeah, I am going to be so, like 41. I, I'm thinking like 41 issues, like don't end at 100. Like, please, for the love of God, write more because I really like how much of like a machine this is. Like we're just sort of discovering the extent and depth of this story that he's written. And I think that I've only reread the first half of this and it just reads totally different as a reread. Yeah. And we're definitely moving towards, like he said in issue eight, like Gotham girl's going to kill Batman. Like Batman's going to cross a line and Gotham girl's going to kill him. And And that's the end of rebirth. Yeah, and that's the end of Batman. Well, that's the end of Rebirth. What do you, you mean? You kill Batman, your universe dissolves, and you reboot. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's true. Yeah, <laughs> New Fifty Two. Yeah, yeah. They had Gordon be Batman, and they had to just undo it. Yeah. Um, yeah, I give it a nine. It's just so good. I give it a nine and a half. Oh fuck you! It made my balls shrivel up inside of me. Mm. Any comic that can do that, nine and a half, automatic. Oh. If it made me cry, also ten. So all it takes to get a 10 is to make Django's balls shrivel and make him cry. So that yeah. seems like a swift kick to the junk to Django is a 10 for him. Bring it on, push one. <laughs> um, uh, I'd give it a 7.5 with the caveat that I would probably have given it a 9 if I'd read the issue before it. I've got all of the issues, if you want to. Play. I have all of the issues. <laughs> <laughs> you know what issues that you should get out, Django? What's that? Those fucking Jonathan Hickman Fantastic Four issues. I should. Because I don't know if it's a book. I, I keep thinking as I'm reading it, like, I don't know if this is a Django book. But it's sure as hell a Jeffrey book. It's one of my two favorite comic runs of all time. I was, I'm, like, I'm just reading it every spare minute I have at this point. I'm going to record a podcast with somebody about it whether they've read it or not at some point. So look for that on the horizon, people. Get your Jonathan Hickman Fantastic Four issues. Get your paperbacks. I sold the whole store quantity of them in the last two days, which is only two copies, um, <laughs> because I'm so in love with it right now. How many issues is it? A lot. It is probably like 45 issues. Okay. I don't know I when read anyone them will... as they came out, except for the very end. He wrote Johnny Storm dying, right? Yeah. 
I think I quit. It was counting down to the death of a Fantastic Four. And I read until it got to three. And I was like, nope, I don't want to read one of these guys dying because it's bullshit. And I can see the bones of the comic. I'm going to tap out. Yeah, he didn't die. And, but yeah, it's well, so obviously. much better than all of that. But it, it's, yeah, it's like the finest you're just reading these. It's like this Batman run where you're just like reading these chunks of stories, and then you're like, "Oh my god, I just read like eight issues that were seeding this bigger thing yeah. that I just thought were like adventure stories." And it's it's the best. So everyone should read that. And look, I'm gonna I have to talk about it. I'm talking about it in the last several minutes of this podcast, which is not the the forum for it. So everyone, John Thing was fantastic for find it because we're gonna talk about it. I read it as it was coming out, and I'll bet it was kind of like reading this Batman where. I don't know that I always notice what built up to this thing, you know, and, and when, because we discuss it, every issue of Batman to death, I can see it. But as I'm reading it, I don't think I notice exactly how much has gone into where we are it's, on any given issue. So it'd be really interesting to read that in a sitting or two. Yeah. Or like nine. Uh, you, you could all have more things like this. If we did more podcasting, <laughs> we could talk about other things like TV shows and adaptations or movies. Um, smells. I'd like to do a, a podcast about smells, Jeff. We could do a whole podcast about the things that make us cry. Oh, God. That's a lot of things. That would be like a bi-weekly for the next six years. and we wouldn't For get you, to... right now, it's a lot of tears. Dude, don't watch Coco right after you've had a baby. Dude, Coco. <laughs> when you haven't seen it and you lost a parent as a young kid. Yeah. Holy crap, I was a fucking mess for hours. Yeah, I don't know what Coco those is. Pixar, Disney, DreamWorks things are just sort of like weird masturb- emotional masturbatory things. Mm-hmm. We gotta go. We gotta go. I have to edit this fucking podcast. I gotta go home to my baby. He's probably hungry. You know, he's so cute. Uh, no, Django. Call just us? No. Oh, oh, but do call us. Yeah, do call us. Thanks, Sorry. Intellitonic. Intellitonic.com. Find them. They're awesome. Benefit from them. Benefit. I love them. dare you. You deserve it. 1-619-663-7336. Was that Satan with you? Yeah, it sounded a little like Satan. I like that guy. Yeah. He's got a good voice. He's pretty He's got cool. a great radio. Voice for a radio. Um, I'm Jeff. I baked a loaf. I ate a lot of it. I feel a little sick. I'm Django. I got a great face for radio. I'm Colette. I've been holding Barry this entire podcast. I love it. <laughs> You've clearly gotten better at holding things my size. <laughs> nice jugs. <laughs> I want to edit that out. Uh, you got to edit the laughs out. I think that's just the end. <laughs>